Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, watch episodes on our YouTube channel, and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Hey, welcome to the next season of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arn. I'm going to take you to the interview in just a second here, but I wanted to remind you right at the top of this season that in just a couple weeks here uh, in sunny Colorado Springs, uh, we've got our next Essential Church Learning Community coming up. And as you know, these learning communities are an opportunity for pastors to get together and talk about what's happening in local churches and issues that are germane to us. Our theme uh, this September is preaching and teaching. So it's all about the ministry of the Word, two full days of talking about the urgency of recapturing and reclaiming the ministry of the Word uh, in the moment that we live in, and also a lot of the practicals on how we do it well, how we manage our own spiritual life in the midst of it. So you won't want to miss it. Uh, Space is limited, and there are still some spots available. So head to our website and sign up for that. The interview that we're taking you today is with a friend of mine, uh, Tommy Brown. Tommy's a pastor down in Florida and is just about to release a book called The Ache for Meaning, How the Temptations of Christ Reveal Who We Are and What We're Seeking. Tommy gives us some of his own biography and his story And about seven or eight years ago, there was this moment in his ministry where the temptations of Christ all of a sudden came home to him in a new way and gave him a lens for really thinking about the human condition. We talk with him, my colleague Rory Green and I do, uh, about uh, the temptations of Christ, but specifically uh, how they, in so many ways, become almost professional vices in ministry and what we can do about it. Those of you that are pastors and ministry leaders, I think especially you're going to want to listen to this one. The book uh, is available September 5th, and so you can pre-order it now, or depending on when you listen to it, it's already out, and you can just go ahead and buy it. Anyway, without any further commentary from me, here's to the interview. Well, uh, I'm really excited. This is the first season or the first episode of the next season of our Essential Church. I don't even know, actually, how many seasons have we done this? Do you know? Is this, Why are you does me the studio this know? Yeah, I know that you're kind of new to this. <laughs> is this like 12 seasons or something? 12 or 13 is what they're saying in the studio. So this is episode one of season 12 or 13. We'll figure that out it's later. The middle but, school child is what it is. That's a really good thought. I really like that. Yeah, with all of the middle so it's a little, school. It's a little awkward, but fun. Yes, and we can kind of see that it's got potential, yeah. like where it's going. And I feel good about it. I, I agree with that. Man, we are. Thank you for that. This is the 13th <laughs> season. Hey, we're with my friend Tommy Brown. And just for a little background, I've known Tommy for about a year or so. He reached out to me not long after uh, my last book, Streams in the Wasteland, uh, was released, and we struck up a little conversation and uh, then it turns out he's also an author with the same publisher that I've published with, Nav Press, and has this wonderful book coming out uh, September 5th, I think it is. And the title of the book is The Ache for Meaning, 
how the temptations of Christ reveal who we are and what we're seeking. And so it's really a look at that great wilderness temptation of Christ and how that is a great metaphor for thinking about the human struggle. It's a really beautiful book. Super excited to have Tommy. Tommy, before we get talking with you about the book, man, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Help our uh, listeners make sense of who you are and where you're coming from. Sure thing, man. First off, hey, Rory. Hey, Andrew. Thank you guys for having me on for your um, 13th or whatever it is season out here. So uh, I'm glad you made it. I hope that uh, there are many more and I don't screw up the trajectory of this thing. But I am uh, the pastor for spiritual formation at Generations United Church in Niceville, Florida. So we're we're somewhere between Pensacola and Panama City in Northwest Florida, uh, a good 15 minutes from the beach or an hour and a half if there are tourists in front of me. And uh, I love this little area that uh, I guess I've, I was born and raised here and so have in my adult life been a pastor for most of my life here, right there, right here in this area. So uh, it's a good place to raise a family. We're enjoying it, man. It's mm, awesome, man. Okay, well, give us, uh, we're going to get into the content of the book in just a second here. But tell us where the book came from. Uh, you know, there's, there is, I think uh, Daniel Grothy has said this before, and I agree with this, every book kind of has its own sort of biography. There's a story attached to it, and the best ones have a good story attached to it. So how did the temptations of Christ all of a sudden kind of land on your map as deeply spiritual significant? Take, it, take us into that. I think I was more depressed than what I knew. I was certainly mm. riddled with anxiety and... Um, trying to find my way through some deep vocational questions. And I would even say like a near crisis to figure out like in the midst of managing, you know, a few dozen employees and lots of departments and everything from the air conditioning units to, you know, small groups and trying to figure out how to keep all of that going together, I lost touch with for me, what it meant to be a pastor. And I know that there are pastors that for them, that is their native tongue, and they dig that and they love it, and God's called them to do it. For me, not so much. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, St. Eugene Peterson said something like, uh, at some point, the church can become the single greatest block to a sense of vocational holiness mm-hmm. uh, that you can have. And I found myself, I didn't have language for it then, but that's where I found myself. I had a great pastor, I had a great church, there was a great staff. Um, but I allowed myself just to become really useful, and that was born of a lot of insecurity. And so when I was, I was in my study one day and reading through the temptations of Christ, and y- you have moments to where you're reading the Bible, and you have moments where you're interpreting the Bible, and then there are moments where the Bible's like, actually, uh, I'm going to read you for a little bit, sport. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interpret you. And so when I read the temptations of Christ, it was like, it was like I was seen. And it was also like I had, how should I say it, Andrew? It isn't like it unveiled itself at once, but it was like I had received an invitation to dive deep into a passage of Scripture because I knew that I was on the scent of the trail that I needed to be on. And I could feel, I could feel something inside of me that was like, this is what you need here, man. So that was... That started probably a seven-year journey for me of just wow. going into this one passage and, and, and really being able to name the ache and to name the questions that I was experiencing as a pastor, just trying to figure out what in the world I'm supposed to be doing with myself. Um, I saw it in the temptations of Christ, and then I just started seeing it everywhere all the time. Mm. I, and, and we can go into that more, but it, was, it gave me a lens through which to view the world. 
So what Jesus is facing yep. is what I was facing, and it started to show up for me, you know, all the time and in in, in so many different ways. So I want you to just say more about that. I think for a lot of us, you know, if we grew up in church, especially hearing the story of the temptations of Christ, it just feels a little remote sometimes. It's sort of like, well, I'm never going to be in the wilderness being asked by the devil to (laughs) turn stones into bread, and I'm never going to be asked to cast myself down off the Temple Mount. And to my knowledge, the devil hasn't given me the proposition to fall down and worship him and the kingdoms will all be mine. So it all feels like a little remote from where we actually live. But I think the brilliance of your book is you actually take those three temptations and you show us how uh, those just are the perennial temptations. And in a lot of ways, like the whole human situation is encompassed in them. Yeah. So give us kind of your take on what is at stake Mm, in, in the temptations. Yeah. So I think that they're symbolic, first of all, and I, I think that um, that because they're symbolic, they they have a wide range of ways in which they show up. So each of the temptations of Jesus, as you know, the the pastors and and you know Bible students will know that are listening to this, each temptation of Jesus wasn't something that the devil just made up on the spot. Like I'm going to get him with the stones to bread thing, or watch this, you know, we'll see if he throws himself down. So each temptation is an echo from Israel's wilderness wanderings. So the first temptation, stones to bread, is anchored in the the manna in the wilderness moment. So we see there that's something to do with provision something to do with that sense of security. And then the second one um, has to do with them testing God. And so it's like, throw yourself down, you know? And then the third one is um, the moment with the golden calf. So that's something about worship and power and control. But what I what I went into with it was sort of the thing behind the thing. And Henri mm-hmm. Nouwen would, wrote a beautiful book on this topic, and the name is escaping me. It's In the Name, in the of, name Jesus. of Jesus. Yep. Yeah, and so he talks about uh, relevance and being spectacular and, and those types of things. And those those are close for me, but, you know, I, I, I think in, in my own life, and he's far more brilliant than I am, but in my own life, I saw that first temptation as the temptation to strive for security. And mm. Thomas Keating says, we're all going to have the same three human needs. We're going to have mm. security, we're going to have approval, and, mm-hmm. we're, and we need some control. Yep. So when I saw that coming from Keating, and then you come over here in the Grand Inquisitor chapter and the Brothers Karamazov, and he says in these three temptations, all human struggles are as if, you know, it's like they're an image that is being shown to you. So for me, it, it was just an inlet, like a tunnel, you know, that I just entered in. That first one, it's all about security. Mm. It's all about that question I couldn't really articulate at the time, but it, I found language and that question of, will I have enough? So that first temptation, stones to bread, is something about security, something about will I have enough. The second one, throw yourself down from the temple. Um, am I enough? Mm. Like, it, am I going to perform for approval um, or am I going to actually uh, to, to trust the Lord? And then that third one, bow down and worship me in the kingdoms of the world and all their power. Um, I do need control, but really, how am I going to go about getting that? Mm. So when you, when you start to see it, and questions help, like, will I have enough? Am I enough? Do I matter? Those three questions help. When you, when you can look at a situation in life and go, what question am I really wrestling with here? Like, if I'm really honest with you, man, mm-hmm. two nights ago, I didn't sleep well at all. Like I, I, not, not much at all, because right before I went to sleep, something that I was watching triggered a memory that just sent me, I was, I, I was so distraught. I felt like I wanted to throw up mm. and I, I sat there and that hadn't happened to me in about a year and a half. 
And I ask myself, all right, what's going on here? Is this about will I have enough, am I enough, or do I matter? And the question was really about do I matter? And I went, all right, I know what to do because I've seen this in the temptation of Christ. So once you get the framework right, you see it popping up all the time in, in lots of different ways. So, yeah. Tommy, I'm curious. I, I want First of all, I love the way you frame these as questions because I think they're questions that do just sit under the human condition mm-hmm. at all times. Yeah. I'm wondering, as you were writing this, you know, you're, you're writing this in 2022, 2023, you're, you're thinking about it. Do you feel like right now in culture, in society, even in the people that you pastor, do you feel like one of those questions is rising to the surface more now than maybe the other two questions are? Man, what a great question. Um, you know, I, I'm, tempted, I'm tempted to say yes, but I'm tempted to give my answer be, because I, I probably feel it most in myself. Mm. Like for me, that question of am I enough, which I think is the second temptation. You know, and to Andrew, to your point, I've never been invited to throw myself down from a temple. I don't right. know where the nearest temple is. Right. But right. boy, have I been tempted to parade around on a stage mm. and have people right. look at me, right? right? So um, every pastor knows what that feels like. So I, I do see that a lot. You know, you see it a lot in teenagers. Most teenagers are not thinking, will I have enough? They're more thinking like, am mm. I enough? Mm. Um, I had a conversation with a man in his late 30s, and he, he was just pouring his heart out. I just asked him, I said, okay, I'm going to ask you three questions. Does this feel like, will I have enough? Am I enough? Or do I matter? He's like, 100% do I matter? Mm. He's thinking about his career. He's thinking about making his mark. He's thinking mm. about... You know what? What is going to be my legacy? You know, is my life going to count in twenty years or something like that? And all good questions, you know, because that need is real, right? That that need of significance, of meaning, and do I matter? All that's real. The question is not, are we going to ask these questions? Or the question is not, is the need for security, approval, and control real? The question is, how am I going to meet those needs? Yeah, so, Roy. I, Man, it's it's the right question to ask, but I I don't I think it's as unique as the person in the mm. situation because in any week, man, I'm I'm swirling through all three questions just like all the dang time. It it never leaves me and it never will. Well, it strikes know? it strikes me, you know, like as I'm thinking I'm I'm looking at these, I kind of outlined it here just so that I could kind of think through the structure of it and listening yeah. to you talk about it, will I have enough? Am I enough and do I matter? In a lot of ways, that maps right into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. Mm. Like the That's first right. thing is like, am I are my basic needs going to be met? Right. Food and shelter yep. and all that stuff. But yep. then it's like. Do I have what it takes to just make it in the world? Mm-hmm. So that's the am that's I enough right. question. And then the final question is the question kind of of self-fulfillment or self-actualization. Right. Do I matter? Right. Like, am I going right. to become the person that... I'm supposed to be in the world. And what I love um, about your book is that you don't say that these are invalid questions. Yeah. Mm -mm. They're critical questions. They have to be answered. And they have to be answered in the affirmative. Will I have enough? The answer has to be yes. Am I enough? The answer has to be yes. And do I matter? The answer has to be yes. But it's all about the way in which we go about it. Or trying to get those needs met uh, outside of God's will for our lives. And so... Maybe just say a little bit more about that. Maybe especially, you know, as I'm thinking about, you're a pastor, we're pastors sitting at the table here. Yeah. How are you seeing pastors trying Mm -hmm. to answer these questions in ways that is not consistent with the way of Jesus Christ? Yeah, so the way of Jesus Christ begins when it comes to the temptations, which 
An another way to translate that is tests, okay? So it, it may be even better translated, tests, than temptation. Mm -hmm. So these weren't like specific temptations like, you know, um, lust over this particular thing or greed or whatever. They were, they were categorical. They were symbolic, first of all. And you can hang every struggle or every temptation you're going to face on one of these three. Mm -hmm. So once you can look at it and go, okay, I'm having a difficulty with my boss. Mm -hmm. My sense is that I'm not going to have this job next year, blah, blah, blah. Where do I hang that on mm -hmm. the three on the three tests? So, but the the test testing narrative doesn't begin in Matthew chapter four verse one, um, and that's where I take it from Matthew. Um, Luke and and Mark also do it, but there's not as much detail. For me, the that whole narrative actually begins at the end of chapter three with the baptism at the Jordan at the hands of his cousin John. So you know the story. So he goes into the Jordan and John baptizes him and then the heavens are torn asunder and then the voice of the father says, this is my beloved son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. There's a dove in some form that alights upon him. And then he comes up and then the spirit leads him into the wilderness and there he fasts and prays 40 days and nights. And then the, the tests begin. And the test, it, it's, it's translated often, if you are the son of God, but in the Greek, it actually has the possibility, and I would say the likelihood of actually uh, being, being since you are the son of God. Yeah, because. So the devil doesn't come to him and go, if you are the son of God. The devil already knows who he is, so that's why he's showing up, mm -hmm. right? Since you are the son of God, meet expectations of what it means to be the son of God. Mm -hmm. Culture has expectations of you. Mm -hmm. the, the Torah has expectations of you. You probably even have some expectations of yourself. I have some expectations. Since you are the son of God. Well, if you, if, you, if you look back to where the whole thing started, it started with the father saying, you are the son, mm. right? So for pastors, I think it, it's, it's a deep seduction for us to have the deepest needs met and the affirmations that we need of security, approval, and control, you can you can really let the church meet those needs for you. Mm. And the problem is when things don't go well at the church, it strikes at your identity because you based your identity not in the Father's words of you, you based your identity in the attendance yep. and the small group numbers and the money and what somebody said to you after church. If that identity is based in anything external, you're hosed. You're just cooked. Yep. But if it's based in in what it means to be the son of God, then at that point, or a, a son of God, a daughter of God, and that's the truth is that what God says about Jesus, God says about you. Either God loves you and is well pleased with you, or you might as well walk away from the whole thing anyhow. <laughs> yeah. So your your identity is based there. And and you guys could know. I mean, and I would be curious in your own lives and, and ministries, um, do you see this as pastors? Do you see this showing up, this temptation to strive or perform or use power to control? How do you see it uh, showing up in your own ministries? You guys are helping a lot of people, so just curious about that. Yeah, I think a, a topic of conversation for us has recently been just the amount of men, married men, whose like marriages yeah. and families and lives are sort of falling apart. And I would say, even just looking at these three questions, Tommy, I feel like the conversations we've had are all sort of circling around these questions. I think the great challenge for them is they don't have the language yet to put to it. Mm. So they're right. they're sort of casting it as like dissatisfaction, mm. um, yep. uh, uh, aloof to what is going on, also apathetic to what is going on. But yep. I think those are probably more side effects mm. to the lack yes. of, of these answers. I would also say this. I think as pastors... With, there's the questions that are raised. I, I think what's so interesting about these is that, um, and I hope this is like 
freedom orienting for some people is that while the questions or these tests are it can definitely be like spiritual in that God is sort of handing them to you or even there's like some spiritual warfare that's bringing them into you there's also right. the real like there's sort of a loop of this where like you have interactions then with your coworkers and mm. they make you think those right. questions or mm. that you know your spouse that's or your right. kids or whatever your friends i think that the question of do i matter i think especially in churches often plagues the staff mm. because there's this mm. constant sort of like are yeah. the things that i'm doing that are good being recognized yeah. by anyone who will look at me and say good job. Yeah. Like the approval yeah. is being sought within an organization. So, mm. yeah, that's really good. One yeah, of the things I was really thinking, good. I was thinking Tommy in this is you asked that question. I was thinking what I, I think one of the things that's astonished me about the temptation narrative, that whole, if you are the son of God thing, or like, as you says, it could, it could also be like a, because you are the son of God thing. Yeah. Right. Jesus is the son of God by nature as the second member of the Trinity and by gift as the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the flesh. That's just a, that's just a given of who he is. Yeah. And what the devil is trying to get him to do is to prove that in a way where it does not need to be proved. So he's yeah. trying mm -hmm. to get Jesus to do something where something mm -hmm. doesn't need to be done. You know what I mean? That's right. And it's that's like, right. And it's like this, in a, in a lot of ways, it's the same thing as the Garden of Eden. Yes. The first couple, they are already in the image and the likeness of God. That's right. And so the tempter comes to them and says, well, you know, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God, That's knowing right. good and evil. And it's like, well, they're already you're as already much like, like God, God as, any, as, as created beings can be because they're made in the image and the likeness of God. So what the enemy does is he starts playing with our minds, yes. and he starts getting us to believe that there's something to be done to achieve right. something that's actually already been given. And that's where we get screwy. So Very I'm going to turn it back around and give it to you because yeah. I think, and, and give a question to you, because I think so much, like one of the things I hear pastors say all the time is like, I'm just so busy. Mm, right. You know, you're, and I say this a lot. I'm tired of fatigue yep. because, why? Because I'm so busy. Why? Because my schedule is so full. There is like an over-functioning in ministry that comes from the fact that we haven't settled ourselves in our alreadiness yeah. yes, as good. sons and daughters of the living God. Yeah. So I'll really turn it to the two of you. How much do you all see that in ministry? Yeah. That so much of what we're doing is not like Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. Yeah. So yes. the answer for Jesus in the wilderness is not like, instead of turning stones into bread to go do something else, the answer is do nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the answer to like cast yourself down off the temple is not like do something else spectacular. Just do nothing. It's do nothing. Mm -hmm. And the answer yeah. to like, you know, fall down and worship me and it's all going to be yours. Jesus doesn't go do something else. I mean, he turns his worship to the Lord's God, but basically he does nothing. <laughs> he just yeah. stays put in the moment he is. That's that it. to me feels like a resting in identity. And I, I just think that there's yeah. an over-functioning that's warping our ministries. And I wonder if you guys yeah. see the same thing. All right, Tommy, I'll throw it to you. I was just going to simply add... I can't count the amount of times congregation members will approach us with the, hey, I'd love to like spend time with you, get coffee, but I know but you're, I know you're so busy. busy. Yeah. Right, right, it right. Becomes yeah. a quite, it becomes quite an easy narrative to just sort of be like, you're sure. right. Yeah. I, I yeah. am so busy. Now I'm not That's so busy. Right. Now I'm too busy. Yeah. Because now That's I have right. to yeah. decline your invitation or whatever. So, yeah. Tommy, you. Yeah. yeah there's... Um, the, the affirmation at the baptism comes before Jesus has done anything worthwhile. That's right. <laughs> like, 
I, I can't see anything in the life of Jesus that that says that the, the affirmation of the Father about him being his beloved son has anything to do with anything he's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hasn't performed a miracle. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't casted out a demon. And to your point, Andrew, like the the invitation or the answer isn't to, you know, go and do something else. It's to let your identity be anchored in mm-hmm. your relationship. That And he receives that identity from mm-hmm. his father. He doesn't earn it. He doesn't work for approval. He doesn't minister for approval. He doesn't cast out demons for approval. He does all of those things from a place of approval. So he isn't going out and seeking something. He's operating from that that deep well of his relationship mm-hmm. uh, with God. So, um, and I think I think it's important to note though it it's one thing to understand the questions and to map those on the. the the temptations, as it were, right? So will I have enough? The first temptation, strive for security. Am I enough? The second temptation, perform for approval. And then that, uh, do I matter um, to, to go after using power to control? But the Jesus's mind was, was so dialed in to the Torah. His mind was so dialed into Israel's story. And he knew who he was because he had lived in that story, received his identity from his father and all of that. So mindsets, I think, are important, right? So for us, we didn't come out of the womb, God incarnate. So we have to grow and learn just like Jesus did, right? But we have to grow and learn. So for me, as a pastor, when I find myself asking the question, well, I have enough, the mindset that I actually need is one of trust. Right. You know, you in culture, you could say curiosity. Like, I... I I'm, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, mm. but I trust God, right? So when you're asking yourself the question, am I enough, that seduction for approval, the mindset might be gratefulness. Like anytime you feel like you're not enough, anytime you feel like you have to perform and gain people's approval by whatever means, whatever the situation is, if instead you will focus not on your inabilities and not in how you might not measure up, you'll focus on the goodness of God that's all around you. I promise you, it changes the interior heart. It changes the lot, the 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 it changes the struggle on the inside to one of like, God, I'm just I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that I get to do this, you know? And then for that last one, using power to control the mindset um, that that you can shift to there, I think is meekness. And that's an undervalued um, mindset in our culture. And, you know, meekness isn't the absence of power, but it's power under control. So I, they, I, in the book, I go into the mindsets and then I go into practices for each of the temptations to where they will show up. You know, it's, it's, it's like the reason that you meditate, right? You meditate on scripture or whatever it is. You meditate, you, you do the practice of meditation, not just for that moment, you do that practice of meditation so that it's easier whenever the, the junk hits the fan to calm your mind in, in, in that moment and, and to center yourself in that moment. So that's why, that's why we need practices like Sabbath and so on and so forth is so that we're prepared whenever those things come. So um, all of that's right there in the life of Jesus. He, that's, that's how we, how we endured it, how he went through it, in my opinion. Tommy, I'm going to ask you uh, kind of a vulnerable question here, but um, yeah. I, I think you said it was like seven or eight years ago, maybe you kind of had this moment where it was like the temptations of Christ became like really important yeah. to you in terms of how you think yeah. about your own life. Okay, so that's, that's a little bit ago. Here you are now, seven or eight years later. Can you talk about... So I've had... I'm 42 years old. I've been walking with Jesus my whole life. I have had so many moments where it was like, boom, the light bulbs 
went on in my head and I mm. saw something I'd never seen before. And then a year later, I'm like, did my life actually change because of that? Yeah. And wow. sometimes it has. And mm, yeah. um, I think, boy, the places, I think when I think back on that, on that time, um, some of those places, it's just taken a real long time. Like there's one thing, it's one thing mm -hmm. to have the epiphanal moment. It's another thing yeah. to actually see your life like turn around. Can you talk yeah. about how is Tommy Brown different yeah. now, hmm. seven yeah. or eight years later? Like That's how, a great question. Yeah. And especially Tommy Brown, the pastor, because we're talking a lot of, to a lot of pastors and leaders. How are you mm -hmm. functioning differently than you were functioning seven or eight years ago? It's the right question because it, otherwise this is just a gimmick, right? Yeah. Or otherwise this is just, and, and none of that. I didn't set out to write this book, right? It wasn't this, I had to live this thing. And so the book is just a witness. And it's probably too honest in some points, honestly. It's, it's a witness to my own struggles. And like I told you, 48 hours ago, you know, I'm up at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so the tests don't stop. The temptations don't stop. Mm. I, think, I think what I've learned is I've learned... I think I've learned to spot them earlier, and I think I've learned to respond earlier. Mm. And so I think it, it, it... You guys, Rory and Andrew, you may know better than I do. I think it was Victor, Victor Frankl who said there's... There's a space, was it him? There's a space between stimulus and response, and yeah. that's where you get to choose your perspective. Is that Frankl? I can't remember. It is. That's where he says our freedom yeah. lies, no matter what's our taken. Our freedom lies. Mm, yeah, yeah, no matter what's taken away from us, the distance between the space between stimulus and response, that's all of our freedom is right there. I was going to say the same exact quote, actually. Yeah. Just exactly yeah. that. <laughs> so, of course you were. Well, there's a second temptation right there, Andrew. I don't know if uh, you're looking for right. approval right now, but That's I'm right. joking. I approve. I'm teasing. But there's, uh, there is that space. And so the, the more that you can create that space and slow down, I think I've become a little better at that. Mm. Um, but honestly, I think the higher you go in leadership, the more sophisticated and nuanced the temptations become. And there are times to where I'll leave meetings and conversations to where I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even, I didn't even see that for what it was. Mm. You know, mm. It's not like I'm seeing a demon or an angel behind every bush. That's not it. It's just in every moment, there's an opportunity, even small moments, you know, small moments with my children. One of them does something goofy. How do I respond? If I feel that anger just... <clears throat> Like right there. Well, that feels a lot like using power to control for me. Okay. So I have to reframe my mindset. I have to be able to respond in meekness and, and, and use my power to liberate rather than to diminish. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have that. You're going to have that with your employees on your church staff. Um, you're going to have the the seeking of approval from your boss, you know, if you, if you're a subordinate leader on a team, um, and that that makes your boss become something that your boss was never intended to. That makes your boss become your god, right? And anytime your boss becomes your god and they fail you, that's a real that's a real problem, right? So I'm not looking to my senior pastor for approval. I'm not. I love him. I I know that he loves me, but I'm not looking to him for my approval. If I'm doing that, then I'm going to be constantly 
shifting and, you know, just positioning and posturing and not to speak of what I'll do to my colleagues in order to win his approval. Um, so yeah, you asked a, an honest question. That's, that's an honest answer. I think I, I try, maybe I'm a little better at spotting it and a little better at creating space and a little better at responding, but, uh, I mean, I can tell you all the times I've gotten it wrong this week. If you want this to be two hours, um, <laughs> we can do that. Hmm. Tommy, I, this book was obviously such a like a personal thing to write for you. Um, one of the things I've discovered about you just doing my little bit of research is that you did a lot of work with like finances and stewardship, right? Teaching around mm -hmm. that space prior to this book. Yeah. How did, did you did you think about finances, stewardship? our resources at all as you're writing this and thinking about these questions and the way these temptations show up? You know, if you listen to a preacher long enough as he's, as he's preaching and harping on struggles and harping on sins, he'll, you'll, you'll quickly realize is where, realize where his or her, you know, core areas yeah. of struggle, you know, lie. Yeah. And so I, I, I wrote a book, I guess, 2017 called the seven money types, discover how God wired you to handle money. So I'm not so much interested in the nuts and bolts of, you know, money management and investing. It's really a spiritual formation book about why I do what I do with money and trying to understand the struggles and also, you know, the gift of how I'm designed as well. But the issue of money, I mean, it's going to be across all three, right? So I, I thought about it in the first temptation. It's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Will I have enough? Sure. The, the manna moment is all about, will I trust the rhythm of God's provision in my life to be enough, including the rhythm of rest? Mm. And that that six one rhythm of creation, um, I think rest is Sabbath rest is much more difficult than working for most people. Um, it's also very life giving, liberating. So I, I see it there in that question: Will I have enough? In the question of am I enough? Um, when I attach my significance to my salary, when I look at the budget and see who makes more money and less money than me, mm. you know those are seductions. Um, and then power to control. I mean, that's, that's kind of writ large across our society. Whoever has the resources has the power and controls the narrative, right? So, um, yeah, I thought about it throughout. Money to me, I think, I think the reason Jesus talks so much about money is not because he cares so much about money, but because he cares so much about hearts. And the most tangible way for a person to see what's going on in her, his heart, is for Jesus to hold up a parable or a story or an example about money and then to say, okay, you're relating to money this way and you're doing that because this is what's going on in your heart. Mm -hmm. It's just a mirror, you know? So yeah, it's the right question to, to ask. And that's kind of how I thought about it. Mm. Tommy, we're, um, we'll wrap up in just a little bit here. I want you to just... Maybe riff for a minute on, um, I, I, I'm thinking as you've been talking, I've been thinking about, you know, you and I are kind of swimming in a lot of the same streams here, um, some of the monastic literature and just trying to get back yeah. to ancient Christian roots and, and ancient yeah. and maybe more time-tested and time-honored models of ministry. And as I've gotten older, I think my imagination about what I want to become and the kind of pastor I want to be mm. is, has changed in some pretty significant ways. I'm wondering if you would just talk for a little bit, maybe riff on who Tommy Brown is right now, and what what do you like? What kind of a pastor do you want to be now when you grow up? <laughs> I guess I guess yeah. that's you know what I mean. Like, what's the destination? Yeah. And I'll just say, you know, like when I was 30, I was reading Henry Nowen books, but secretly I wanted to be the next greatest thing. Was my cool model of ministry that everybody was asking me about, and that's that's changing. It's honestly changing for me now. 
when you lay awake mm-hmm. at night going, God, make me like this, what are you asking God to make you like? What kind of a pastor yeah. do you want to be? Golly, I didn't. Is there a copay attached to this conversation? <laughs> like, because I feel like that's a great question a therapist would ask me. Um, you know, the people that I'm paying attention to, and I think it's important to have models in ministry, you know, to, to have women and men that you're looking to and saying, there's something in them that I resonate with. What is that? Um, and I don't say this because you're on on the the conversation right now, but I, I'm paying attention to what you guys are doing at mm. at New Life. I think that I think what you're doing is not trying on the trappings of liturgy and not trying on just the form and kind of that, you know, that ancient future, whatever you want to call it. You're not just playing around with trappings. You're trying to get at the sacramental nature of of what's really happening up underneath it all. And you're trying to recover that and you're trying to um, do that in a way that invites the Holy Spirit into it. So I don't know that I have good language for it, but I know it when I see it and I know it when I feel it. So I want to be I want to be a contemplative pastor. Mm-hmm. I want to pay attention to God. I want to help other people pay attention to God. I want to recover something of the slowness mm-hmm. of ministry. I want to recover. I, I'm, I think I'm slick averse. It just nauseates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, this, the technology that it takes to produce this moment is beyond the scope of what I can. So I'm, I'm not against technology. I am against somehow the, the presentational nature of ministry Mm -hmm. that if somehow we could recover a participational ministry, um, and create space for people to encounter God and not make it just about the person or the people that are up on the stage. So I, I care less about big than what I used to. I used to care about big a lot. I don't care about big anymore. It well, I don't care about big as much as I used to. I or think at least that you recognize it as a vice in a way yeah. that you didn't before. Yeah, it's a vice because it's yeah. it's attached to success. You know, uh, big is not the goal. Big is a byproduct. So I'm I'm looking at people like Chris Green. I'm looking at people who are who are. V- are are pastors, but they're also recovering, as you said, the the ancient voices. So I I'm paying attention to people like that. I you know I don't want to I don't want to go old school for the sake of old school. That's just a different right. model, you right. know. That's mm-hmm. and that's been cool and whatever. But I think the thing on the other side of the thing that I'm seeing is being able to recover the spirit of those ancient Christians. And sometimes I imagine Jesus sitting on the front row while I'm preaching, um, like bearded Jesus, you know, and Sometimes I'll imagine Paul sitting right beside him, you know, and then there's Mary Magdalene. And it's like, can I say what I'm about to say, how I'm about to say what I'm about mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. with them in my presence? Yeah. Do they stand up and walk out and go, I'm not sure what's going on here? Um, so, yeah, ask me in 10 years and maybe I'll have a better answer. I feel like I'm still becoming, but maybe that gets us close anyhow. I mean, some of the tell me what monks, I'm saying. They, man, I love what you're saying. Some of the ancient monks would say that some of them are recorded as saying on their deathbed that they had only just begun to serve yeah. the Lord. And I, I do think that. Yeah. I think that the deeper you go into this, the more you go. I think I'm just starting. God, would you just help me? You yeah, know, yeah. Help, help me stay on my feet and help me do this in the right way. Tommy, I appreciate you so much. It's funny as you were talking, I was thinking about a conversation that we had with Pastor Brady earlier this week where we were just talking about so there's so many things to be disappointed about in the church and so many mm-hmm. leaders to be disappointed in. 
And he was kind of lamenting to a small group of us. He was like, who are those people that we can just, who's doing it right out there? Mm. And I think the conclusion we came to in that conversation is that most of those people who are really doing it right, you just don't know a lot about them because their head is down and they're focused on holiness. And, and you're one of those guys. You're part of the reason. You're, you're part of the, the salt. You're part of the leaven in the dough. Um, hidden away, not a lot of people know who you are, but you're, you're walking the way of Jesus in ministry. And I'm personally so appreciative of it. So, man, yeah. thanks for writing this book. The book is Ache for Meaning, How the Temptations of Christ uh, Reveal Who We Are and What We're Seeking. He didn't write it for pastors, but it's a great and timely book, soul-searching book for pastors and for anybody, really, is, who's trying to grapple with their sense of place in the world and how to live a life of integrity. So pick it up. It releases September the 5th. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, wherever fine books are sold. Tommy, thanks for being with us <laughs> thanks, today, Tommy. my friend. Thanks, Tommy.